You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Monty and thank you choir. Praise the Lord. Wednesday night when Monty was with our choir in rehearsal, he had a couple of friends here for the Southern Baptist Convention. One of them is a husband and wife team. He's a minister of music at a church in Amarillo. The friend that was visiting with Monty and Tanya and they sat in on the choir rehearsal and said something after the choir rehearsal that I think to probably one of the most extreme compliments that a choir can possibly get. Uh, we asked him if he was going to join our choir and he told me, he said, no, I'm taking your choir back to Amarillo with me. <laughs> Uh, and that just says something about our people. We, uh, for where we are and uh, for who we are at this time, we are blessed to have a group of folks that are so committed to, to leading God's people in worship and have the ability uh, and the desire to sing as our choir. And I appreciate this choir, don't you? I hope that you sometimes will take the time to tell them that. You know, sometimes they go a little bit unnoticed. Uh, you uh, tell your pastor that you appreciate sometimes what he preaches uh, you tell the Sunday school teachers when they teach an extraordinarily good lesson, but sometimes we don't go out of our way to express to those who lead us in worship in the choir how much we appreciate their commitment of being here, rehearsing, and then uh, what they do on Sunday mornings in leading us. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We're back in our study of Ephesians, and those of you that are with us on a regular basis know that for some six months now we've been studying verse by verse through the book of Ephesians on Sunday mornings. Um, I preached on this passage of Scripture a little bit over a year ago, as a matter of fact, that we are coming to this morning. And it just seems that in the providence of God and the timing, everything fits together where on Father's Day, we come to this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. And I struggled with what I should do on this thing, whether I should break the pattern and maybe find another passage of Scripture to preach on, since I have preached on this passage before, a little bit over a year ago. And I just decided, no, I just thought, well, this, this passage is such a good one that we could probably hear it, most of us, men and fathers, uh, every Sunday for about a year before we would really understand everything that these verses say to us. And so I just decided to, uh, to preach this passage again this morning because it fell right into the pattern that we have been following as we've been studying through Ephesians chapter six, uh, through the book of Ephesians. So we're in chapter 6 this morning. I'm going to skip over the first three verses and let the kids have a break today. And we're going to go right to verse 4. Now, the first three verses talks about children honoring your parents and obeying your parents. And uh, we need to come back and do that sometime. And, and I certainly will. But because this is Father's Day, everybody, the kids are just going, wow, man, that's great. Glad to see that. Because this is Father's Day, we're going to come directly to verse 4 in chapter 6. And we're going to deal specifically with that. Let's read that verse of Scripture together. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. I want to speak to you today on the topic of the task of taming the barbarians. Dr. Albert, <laughs> you've heard that before. Dr. Albert Siegel, a noted sociologist, said this in an article. He said, when it comes to rearing children, every society is only about 20 years away from barbarism. 
20 years is all we have of accomplishing the task of civilizing the infants that are born into our midst every year. There's a lot of truth in that. These savages know nothing of our culture, our language, our religion, our values, our customs, or our interpersonal relationships. They are totally ignorant about fascism, communism, democracies, civil liberties, respect, decency, honesty, customs, conventions, and manners. These barbarians must be tamed if civilization is to survive. Now, any of you that have raised children or reared children or are in the process of doing that, you realize the grain of truth that's in that statement. I like the way that Leadership Magazine put it in an article that I read last year. It said in a caption, We interrupt this service of worship to inform you that the fourth grade boys are now in complete control of their Sunday school class. They have taken their teacher hostage, and we are now negotiating her release. That's what we are about as parents, as fathers, as mothers, as families. We are about the task of, of teaching and, and training our children in the things of God. I want to speak primarily today to fathers because that's where verse 4 puts its emphasis in chapter 6 of Ephesians, but also because this is that special day that we set aside to think about Father's Day. I want to say it because I believe that it is primarily God's Word gives primarily the responsibility of training and of teaching and of bringing up the children in the home in the love and the admonition of the Lord that God's Word puts that primarily in the hands and the responsibility of the father in the home. Now, that does not mean that mothers are not to teach children. Uh, certainly they are. And I pray that you have a wife and the children, that you have a mother who loves the Lord Jesus enough to, to teach you and train you in the things of God during the day. But what I mean by that is that the Word of God puts the primarily, primarily puts the responsibility, puts the key leadership responsibility for the training and the teaching of children in the hands of the Father. You see, the Scripture teaches that the Father is the prophet and the priest of his home. He is his own pastor. Do you know who the pastor of your home is, men? Fathers, it's not me. I am not the pastor of your home. I am the pastor of this church overall. But you, the scripture says, God has given you as the father, as the spiritual head of that home. He has given you the charge and the responsibility to be the pastor of your home, to be the spiritual leader, to be the spiritual head of that place. And so Paul comes in chapter 6. He's been talking about the spirit-filled life. All of chapter 5 is about that. And chapter 6 carries on that that teaching. Chapter 5, verse 18, he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Then he went there from that point to the relationship of, of God's people within the body of Christ. And then he talked about the relationship of the husband and the wife together as they relate in submission one to another. And then in the first three verses of chapter 6, he talks about the Spirit-filled children who are submitting to their parents, who are honoring or obeying their parents. And now he comes to the responsibility of the Father, the spirit-filled man of God who is the prophet, the priest, and the pastor of his home. And he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the love and the admonition of the Lord is the King James translation of it. My translation, the New American Standard, is in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so, fathers, we have primarily the responsibility of being the prophet and the priest and the pastor of our homes. Many folks say, well, I bring my children to church for that. Well, you know the fallacy of that, that the average child only spends about 1% of his lifetime in church. If he is a 
uh, a Sunday morning, Sunday nighter, and Wednesday nighter. He spends about 1% of his time in church. If you're leaving it to the church to be the, to be the spiritual director of your children, then it's not going to get done. You see, man, your primary, primary responsibility, fathers, is not in your job. Your primary responsibility is not in your business, although those are important responsibilities that God has given you to be the provider. But that is not your primary responsibility. Your primary responsibility is to be the spiritual leader of your home, to train your children, to love them, and to discipline them in the Lord. And if you succeed in all other pursuits in life, if you are a successful businessman or you are successful in your job or whatever you do, if you succeed in all of those areas of life and you fail as the spiritual head of your home, then all of it is senseless and all of it is worthless because God has given you that primary responsibility to be the spiritual head and the spiritual leader of that home. More than anything, more than anything at all this morning, fathers, your heart's cry ought to be to God. God, make me to be the father that you desire me to be. Make me to be the spiritual leader in the spiritual home over my wife and my children that you have desired for me to be. And that's what Paul's dealing with in chapter 6, verse 4, these important words. He says three things to the fathers that I want us to notice this morning. First of all, he says, fathers, that in this position of spiritual head and leader of your home, that there is, first of all, a danger to be avoided. There's a danger to be avoided. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. The picture that this word provoke paints is a picture of someone taking a sharp stick and finding a caged animal somewhere and beginning to poke and to jab at that animal that's caged up until finally that animal gets enough of it and in frustration just begins to lash out in retaliation. You see, that's a tremendous danger that we have of provoking our children in that way. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I've never caged my kids and poked them with a sharp stick, so how in the world could I possibly provoke my children? What is the opposite of provocation? Would it not be love and attention? Would not the opposite of provocation be love and attention? So how, fathers, could you possibly provoke your children in the way that Paul is talking about? I think that it would be through neglect. I think that the greatest provocation of children today from their fathers is through neglect. This is the scenario. You work 12 to 14 hours a day trying to build that business or make as much money as you can on, in, the, in the workplace. You come dragging in at the end of that long day. And those kids are excited because dad is coming home and they want some love. They want some tenderness. They want some attention from their father. Believe me, I, I identify with this. And you've worked all day and you come in and you're tired and they want to be with you, dad. But instead, what they hear from you, instead of a, a loving hug as you walk in the door, what they hear from you from the moment that you walk in the door is shut up. <laughs> get out of my way. Leave that alone. Don't touch that. Be quiet. I heard of a kid that, that, that said that, by the that he was 10 years old before he realized that his name was not shut up. A lot of kids tragically feel that way. And this is the way that you can possibly provoke your children to anger and to, 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 uh, to, to wrath is through neglect. Not giving them 
that kind of attention. So what happens after a period of time, then that child ceases to be excited when daddy walks in, when daddy comes in. And then this goes on for years and years and years. And finally, all of that anger, that resentment that has been built up in the heart and the mind of that child, one day it explodes in retaliation, in utter frustration and resentment. And we sit back and, and, and are amazed and wonder where it went wrong. When all of the time through the years, we as fathers are provoking our children to wrath through neglect, through criticism, and not that loving tenderness that they need and that they desire. You see, men, your children need your time. They need your time more than anything that you can possibly give them. No one, no one, no one can provide that for them the way that you can. Nobody can fill that gap and fill that void. I stand convicted this morning. I honestly do, man. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching the Word of God to myself because every day I come in and I see little Tiffany and we're about to have another one here in about three or four weeks. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, maybe it'll be sooner. I hope it will be. But I come in every day and I see little Tiffany and she walks a little bit better than she did yesterday. She talks a little bit more clearly. She's using verbs. She's stringing sentences together. Her hair seems like it's grown a little bit. And she just, her facial expression seems like she has matured. And I realized something. I realized that she has grown since yesterday. And she's going to grow some more before tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And then finally, she's going to be gone. And I'm not going to have an opportunity to share in that life and the, the molding and the making and the training of that little one. I can't afford to waste one moment, although I do. I stand guilty. I stand accused, but I cannot afford to waste one moment in raising that child as the spiritual head, as the pastor of my own home. John Madden, who was ex-football coach of the Oakland Raiders, got out of the professional coaching profession a few years ago, and when asked by a reporter why he did that, he gave this answer. He said, I made the decision to leave coaching professional football when someone asked me how old my son was and I said nine years old and I found out later that he was 12. You see fathers there's a danger to avoid and that danger is what Paul called provoking your children to wrath and to anger and I think that in our hustle and bustling kind of society and the 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 kind of pressures that you uh, face in the business world and the work world I think that the easiest way that you can, can provoke your children is through neglect, through not being that pastor, that spiritual leader, that spiritual head of your home, and giving them every single second, every single moment that you can possibly physically give them in loving them and teaching them and in training them in the things of God. Spend your life giving them things and fail to give them yourself, and you may become guilty of doing what Paul has said, in this passage of provoking them. There's a danger to be avoided, but I want you to notice second, not only is there a danger to be avoided, but there is a discipline to be applied, a discipline to be applied. Notice what Paul goes on and says in verse four. He says, and fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Paul says, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. That word discipline in the original language literally means to chastise. It literally means to whip. 
okay? And that sounds a little bit brutal, so maybe we shouldn't say that. Let's say to bring them up in the chastisement of the Lord. That's a word we don't use much anymore. But this word that is translated discipline here is translated as chastisement in the King James Version of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 when it speaks of God the Father himself and says, whom the Father loves, listen, he chastises. It's the same word in the original language. It's the same word that Pilate used in Luke chapter 23 when he was trying to decide what he was going to do with Jesus. He didn't know what to do with Jesus, and so Pilate responded, I will chastise him, and then I will release him. You see, fathers, there's a danger to be avoided. That is provoking your children to wrath. You must give them your time, your love, your attention. But listen, they also need your discipline. A father that does not discipline his child. And once again, I've got to be honest with you. It's the easiest thing in the world for me to turn to Laura and say, Laura, beat that kid. <laughs> I mean, I'm tired. She's been with her all day. I don't want her mad at me. I don't want Tiffany mad at me, you know, like they get when you, when you spank them a little bit. And so my first temptation is when she does something wrong, instead of me taking control of that and instead of me taking the responsibility for that discipline the way that God has said that I should, the easiest thing in the world for me is say, Mama, take care of this child. Isn't that right? I don't ever do that, though, do I? <laughs> Listen, fathers are who he's speaking to here. He's not speaking to mothers. Yes, mothers, you ought to discipline your children, but he gives the primary responsibility to the fathers for the bringing them up in the love and the admonition of the Lord. And so God's word says, whom the father loves, these he also disciplines. You've got to give them those things that they need, but you must also be willing to give them discipline. A father that does not discipline his children, now listen to this man, does himself and his child a grave disservice. You honestly do. You do yourself and your child a grave disservice. Now I'm aware that there's a school of thought that's been around for about 20 or 25 years, maybe a little bit longer than that, there's a school of thought that says that you should not spank a child because you'll warp his psyche. You remember when that, when that school of thought got started, uh, one Dr. Spock and uh, many of his followers and individuals came out some 20, 25 years ago saying that the best way to raise children is not to physically discipline them because you, you'll, uh, uh, you'll warp their personalities, you'll warp their psyches. And so a lot of parents followed that philosophy and raised a generation of renegades, honestly and truly. It's interesting to me that in the past decade, many of those child psychologists that were saying that kind of thing back in the late 50s and early 60s are coming out now and saying that they were wrong, that they were wrong in what they said. And a generation of parents reared their children according to some pagan psychologist that never understood a thing that the Word of God had to say. Listen, folks, discipline of children is a very real part of the process. And if we would just listen to the unchanging Word of God, listen, just listen to the unchanging Word of God instead of all the psychological gurus that change their opinions about every 10 or 15 years, then many, many of the problems that we face in our home, in our family, in our society would never have ever been encountered. 
Fathers, don't provoke your children, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. The scripture is very clear. Discipline is in the will of God. It must be done in love. It must be done in wisdom, but it must be done. Some of you kids say, okay, James, go on to the next point. I want to get this home. I need to hear it. It is a part of the plan and the purpose and the will of God. And I want to say to you, man, if you delegate that to your wife, you shirk your responsibility in that area, then you sin against the Lord. And I stand accountable for that. If you delegate that to your wife, and you shirk that responsibility of discipline of children, then you have sinned against God. Paul says, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline of the Lord. I want to give you a few reasons real quickly why you ought to discipline your children, fathers, from the Word of God. This is not what James says, but this is what the Scripture says. A few reasons why you ought to discipline your children. First of all, you ought to discipline them, dads, because you love them. Discipline your children because you love them. Proverbs chapter 13. Write this down. Let me read it to you. I, I wrote it down so we wouldn't have to take a lot of time turning in the scripture, but write this reference down and check it out a little bit later. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Fathers, discipline your children because you love them. He said, he who spares the rod hates his son. Did you hear that? He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves his son he will discipline him diligently. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves his son will discipline him diligently. Now, some folks say, I just can't bring myself to spank that cute little cherub. <laughs> I just can't bring myself to, to lay a hand on that, that precious little body. That's not true. That's really not true. When you say that, you're not really and truly telling the truth. When you refuse to discipline your children, you do it not because you love that child so much, but because you love yourself too much. I'm speaking from experience. When you fail to take the responsibility of being a disciplinarian of your children when they are wrong, it is not because you love that child too much. It is because you love yourself too much. This is why. Because when you discipline that child, it hurts you. It upsets you, and so you don't do it because you love yourself more than you love that child. But God's Word says that to not discipline the child is the same as hating that child. The book of Hebrews says God disciplines those whom He loves. God disciplines those whom He loves. Now let me ask you, dads, are you wiser than God? God disciplines those whom he loves, yet sometimes we say we love our children too much to discipline. Let me ask you, are you wiser than the Father in heaven? No. If you love your children, you'll discipline them. But second of all, not only because you love them, you'll discipline them, but because of the nature of humanity. Because of the nature of humanity. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15 says. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. <laughs> this is interesting. But the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. You discipline your children and dads because you love them. You love them more than you love yourself. But you also discipline them because of the nature of humanity. Now, there are two schools of thought 
about the basic nature of man. The first one says that man is basically good and he's just getting better. That man in and of himself is basically good and he'll just get better if we don't do something to spoil him. Okay, if we don't do something to ruin him in life, that he's going to grow up and he's going to be a basically a good person. The second school of thought says that man is basically sinful and that the only way that he really gets any better is if he is born again by the Spirit of God. Now, the first view is man's evaluation of himself. The second is God's evaluation of man. And I'm going to trust God's evaluation of myself much more than I trust my own evaluation of myself. Psalm 51, verse 5 says, Behold, I was bought, brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Now, that doesn't mean that in a sinful act that he was conceived, but he says, In sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, I was born with sin. That's what the Scripture says, that since Adam sinned, all of us have sinned, and we have all inherited that sinful nature. Now, you discipline your children, fathers, because you love them, but also because of the nature of humanity. Let me read another proverb to you. Chapter 23, verse 13 through 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. Listen to this verse. You shall strike him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now, did, what does that mean? Does that mean just by beating your kid, he's going to be sure that he's going to go to heaven? Boy, you could go home and just beat your child to death, wouldn't you? I mean, if you just thought that whipping your kid was going to be sure that that kid was going to go to heaven, what does Solomon mean when he says that? He says that when you discipline your child, you're not going to hurt him. You're not going to warp his psyche. You're not going to hurt him physically beyond, uh, beyond repair unless you do it wrongly. But when you discipline your child, you're not going to hurt him, but you're going to do him some good. You're going to deliver ultimately his soul from hell, the Scripture says. Why is that? Because when you discipline your children, you teach them a moral and a spiritual principle of life. That moral and spiritual principle of life is that there is a standard of righteousness. Did you hear that? There is a standard of accountability. And you are laying a foundation in the, in the, in the psyche and in the heart of that child that is going to allow him later to recognize that he is also accountable to God. And you are laying the foundation to make it much easier for that child to turn to the Lord Jesus in faith and be born again and have that sin forgiven. Because you, as, as a loving father, through the years of bringing that child up, you have taught him that there is an accountability, that there is a standard of judgment, that there is a standard of righteousness. And so when you discipline your children, you're laying a foundation that makes it easier for him when he gets old enough to understand that he is also accountable to a holy and a righteous God. And therefore, you have provided a foundation for that child at that age to turn to Jesus in faith and understand that he must be judged. His sin must be judged. His sin must be judged in Jesus as he turns in faith or his sin will be judged when Jesus comes again and he has rejected him as Savior and as Lord. Did you hear that? Fathers, discipline your children because you love them, but also because of the nature of humanity. And thirdly, this proverb says that we ought to discipline our children because it will save us from disgrace later. It'll save you from disgrace later. Proverbs chapter 29, verses 15 through 17. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way 
brings shame to his mother. Some of you know that. You've experienced that. A child that gets his own way brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son, and he will bring you comfort, and he will also delight your soul. What that proverb really says is that in the first years of life, a child can learn more through the seat of his pants that he'll have to learn later on in life through a lot of great deal of suffering and to shame and disgrace. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, the writer of the Hebrews says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's no fun to get a spanking, is it, kids? Some of you that maybe sometimes get spankings, some of you older kids that are 40 and 50 years old. <laughs> it's not always fun to get a spanking, is it? All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, yet to those who have been trained by it, who have been brought up with it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's the New Testament saying that, not the Old Testament. If you put more weight in the New Testament than you do the Old, and you shouldn't. When, it has, when an individual has been brought up in it and trained in it, it ultimately yields the fruit of righteousness. But in the short term, fathers, if we try to win a popularity contest with our children and do not discipline them, we and that child ultimately will pay the price later. Now, seriously, I'm not advocating child abuse, okay? Don't go out of here and say, you know, our pastor's a child abuser. <laughs> I think that child abusers ought to be strung up by their toenails, honestly. Whether it's a parental child abuser or someone that doesn't even know that child. I think that the, the most severe penalty that law can give ought to be brought down upon the head of those who abuse innocent children. I'm not advocating child abuse. I am advocating discipline that is out of love, discipline that is, that is controlled, discipline that understands that it is a moral and a spiritual principle based upon the Word of God. When you discipline your children, don't ever do it when you're angry. You get your cool first. Don't ever discipline a child when you're angry at that child. You wait a minute. You pour cold water over your head if you have to. But don't ever discipline that child when you're angry. And always do it in such a way that immediately at the end of that discipline that you can get down on that child's level and you can put your arms around that little boy or that little girl and you can hug them and you can tell them that you love them. That's the way to discipline a child. And that kind of discipline, the Scripture says, will ultimately bring its spiritual results in the heart and the life of that child. Do it right, but do it because you love them, because of the nature of humanity, and third, because it will save you and them from disgrace later. And finally, we'll close with this. Paul says, not only is there a danger to be avoided and discipline to be applied, but there is a direction to be affirmed. He says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Notice that word that he uses, instruction. It has the idea of teaching, and he's speaking to the fathers. Fathers, it is your place, it is my place as a father, as the spiritual head of my home, to teach the things of God to my children. And if you say that you, that's why you bring your children to church, then it's not going to get done. 
If you say that that's the place of your wife in the home, then you are wrong and you ought to praise God if you've got a wife that'll teach your children and she ought to be doing that. But it is not her primary responsibility. Paul speaks to the fathers. Fathers, bring your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It has been given to you and to me. to be the spiritual head and the pastor of our homes. How do you teach your children, fathers? How do you bring them up in that kind of instruction? First of all, you do it by expression. You do it by expression. You verbally teach them. You teach that child to pray. You teach that child to read the Word of God. When they're able to begin memorizing the Scripture, then you teach them to memorize the Word of God. You sing their little, their little church songs with them. You get on the floor and you do the things that are necessary to let that child know that Daddy's not ashamed of Jesus so that that child doesn't have to grow up feeling just a little bit ashamed of Jesus because he never heard Daddy even say Jesus' name in prayer or in reading the Scripture. You teach your child verbally. They've got to hear you say it. You do it by expression, but you also do it by example. And probably more importantly than anything, you do it by example. No matter what you say, if you don't live it, it's empty. They'll hear what you say, but then they'll do what you do. They'll hear what you say, but then they'll follow your example. But if they hear you say it and they see you live it, then it'll find roots. It'll find foundation in their lives. Rick Graswolf is the minister of evangelism at the First Baptist Church in Fort Lauderdale. Became a good friend of mine when I was there. Uh, pastoring a church in Fort Lauderdale. I heard Rick tell a story one time of a man that he knows, and it moved me, it touched me, and so I want to share it with you this morning. Rick said this man was giving his testimony before a group of Christian businessmen. And he said, my family and I live in a big city. And he said the high-rise apartment in which we live is only a few blocks away from the place where I've worked for many, many years. And so through the years, he said, I developed the habit of walking to work in the city. And I developed the habit through the years of, of leaving a little bit early so that I could go by one of the local pubs, one of the local bars there that was on the way to the office to stop and just have one drink and, and to visit with some of the men and just fellowship with some of the men there. He said one morning in the winter it was snowing and I walked out of the apartment and we just had taken several steps onto the sidewalk and, and I noticed that my footprints were being left in the snow he said, and there were a lot of people hustling and bustling around me. And, and he said, to this day, I, I do not know what made me turn around. But he said, I turned around and what I saw was my little son hopping from footprint to footprint. And he said, I couldn't have heard him step because there were people that were walking and, and pushing and shoving all around me. But something just made me stop and turn around. And when I did, I saw my little son and he was hopping from footstep to footstep to footstep. And he said, I turned and I said, son, what are you doing? And he said, I'm stepping in your track, Daddy. He said, I turned around and I picked my son up and I took him upstairs back to the apartment. And then I went on to work. And he said, that morning, I skipped the bar. But he said, when I got to work, those words kept coming back. Those words kept echoing in my mind. He said, when I went to coffee that morning, what I heard was, I'm stepping in your tracks, Daddy. He said, when I went to lunch that day, 
in the midst of the conversation, this kept ringing in the back of my mind. I'm stepping in your tracks, Daddy. He said that afternoon when I was in business conference, those words kept pounding in the back of my mind. I'm stepping in your tracks, Daddy. He said, when I went home that night, I fell on my knees and my face before God. And I said, God, forgive me. He said, and make my tracks such that when my son steps in them, they'll lead them to you. You see, fathers, you teach your children by verbal expression, but also by your example. Don't be guilty of saying, I'm going to tell them one thing and do another and they'll do what I tell them because they won't. No matter what you tell them, they'll do what you teach them by your example. And I honestly believe this. I honestly believe this. If my children grow up to be renegades, it won't be because I didn't tell them good things. Because I'll tell them good things. It'll be because I wasn't a good man. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are challenged before you this day by your word. We're challenged by the example and the testimony of this one Christian businessman who had a very unique experience that you used to bring him into submission to you. Father, I pray this morning that you would take these words and let them be words of encouragement. Father, I pray that there would not be one ounce of discouragement in this place this morning. Even for those of us who are not fully practicing, Father, what your word has challenged, that we not be discouraged, but that we be encouraged that you who live within us are the very Heavenly Father that has inspired these words and have already set the example for us of what fathers we ought to be. And so, Lord, that we might be encouraged that, that we can be what you've challenged us to be. We understand that it is a very high standard, that you always set the highest standards for your people, but that you never command us to do what you'll not also empower us to do. And I pray that this morning, Father, for those of us in this place that are fathers, for those young men in this place that someday will be fathers, I pray, Father, that right now that your Spirit would do His work, that your anointing would fall upon us and encourage us, God, to go on and be the men of God, the pastors, the priests, the spiritual heads and leaders of our homes and our families. We thank you, Father, for the presence of your Spirit. We sense Him here. We recognize Him. And now, Lord, we ask for your work to be done, for your will and your plan and your purpose to be manifested in this place. We give it all to you in this time of invitation. It's yours, Lord Jesus. Amen. Stand with us. Turn to hymn number 361.